G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media, thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. I think that there's never been a time that you can be more excited to be a Christian than there is today. Hi and welcome to Today with Jeff Vines. Today we'll hear a message from the Simple Truth series in which Pastor Jeff asks his congregation to bring along a friend to church. The message is aimed at those who have gone cold in their faith and at those that deny the existence of God completely. You know down deep inside there's something beyond and you keep spending your entire life looking for it. You just never find it because you're not looking in the right place. God planted that in your DNA. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Hey, good morning. Welcome to Christ Church of the Valley. We are having double weekend. So you were supposed to bring your double. Did you bring your double? Thank you. Dane Johnson, I saw he had Larry the Cable Guy with him, so it's all good there. No, I'm just kidding about that. I had some friends last night, had some friends in the first and second. It's been a great weekend so far. Now, here's what we're going to do as we start this journey together. I'm going to take you back to 1982. say, Jeff, man, that wasn't 1982. That was before that. Well, it's 1982 to me because that's the song they played on prom night for me. That's right. I remember us all just kind of being in this big dance hall. We're all shouting, dancing. Of course, that was the day of disco, so I'm not going to demonstrate because it's embarrassing still to this day. But we're all there and the song is just booming. You know, we're playing some foreigners, some Boston, some other groups. But this is the song that we wanted to define us. We chose it as a 1982 graduating class because we told ourselves, no matter what happens in the world after we graduate high school, we're not going to stop believing in ourselves. That's what we said. The reality, though, is this. It doesn't take very long after high school to get out of the dog-eat-dog world. And what really amazed me is that I came from a small town, so I'm in the Bible Belt, so you got a lot of people who are believing in God, and they believe that when times get tough, they're not going to stop believing in themselves. They're going to keep believing in God, and God will work His way through our lives, and it'll all come out for good. It all sounds good in theory, but then I came back about three years later. My basketball coach in high school had asked All five starters, all of us were on scholarship playing basketball somewhere, and he asked us all to come back and do a basketball camp for the little boys and girls in Elizabethan, Tennessee. So we came back to do the camp. It's Friday of the camp. The camp is over. The gym has been cleared. It's me and my friend, Chris, who's on a full scholarship to South Carolina. We're just shooting baskets, working our game. We're we're, we're doing overtime because we want to be ready for the fall kickoff, the season, that when it's launched in November or December, 
And just as the ball stopped bouncing, Chris and I look at each other. We notice we're the only ones in the gym and the doors are locked. Lights are still on. And he looks over to me, my friend does, and he says, Jeff, I got something to tell you. I said, what? He says, I'm an atheist. Now, it only took three years. And by in that time, I didn't even know what an atheist was. And he explained to me how he said, Jeff, I don't believe in God. And I said, why, man, why? And here's what he said. Hey, if God is so real and wants me to believe, why didn't he just come down here, sit beside me and say, Chris, I am real. Believe in me. I want, I want to talk to you. And that was his answer. That was it. Simple as that. God wants me, if God wants to know, wants me to know that he's real, why didn't he just come down and sit beside me and tell me? How hard is that? Now, I've been thinking about that because at that point, I got to tell you, it shook my faith. That was almost launched me into this apologetic ministry that I have today. Because in reality, think about that. I think that there's never been a time that you can be more excited to be a Christian than there is today. Why? Well, think about what Francis Crick has discovered. You know who Francis Crick is? Won the Nobel Prize for cracking the code of DNA. He cracks the code. He sits back, leans back in his own words at his office, and he says this to himself. My goodness, look at the intelligence in the DNA code. There's no way this is by accident. And he becomes so enamored with the precision, with the intricate detail, with the complexity of the DNA that's common in every single one of us that he says, there's no way we're here by accident. Now you put that on top of the fact that Anthony flew. Here's a guy that is the European guru of atheism. For 22 plus years, Anthony Flew says there is no God. And he teaches guys like Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens. He's the guru. He taught everybody sits at his tutelage, at his feet. And I'm reading about his articles in New Zealand where he keeps writing article after article about how there is no God. And then all of a sudden, I think I would like to talk to this guy and I pick up a New York Times and it says... Anthony Flew converts. The, the, the most well-known guru of atheism changes his mind. And he says, and it shook the foundations of the scientific world. And he said, man, I just can't believe this any longer. They asked him why. And in an article, he said, well, Einstein's words kept bothering me, where he said there had to be intelligence behind the integrated complexity of the physical universe. And then he said, despite that, now in science, we've discovered so much more. We know that even the cell is not simple. It's incredibly complex, just a tiny little cell. And the integrated complexity of life leads me to believe that it can only be explained by intelligence, by a source, by a fashioner, by an orchestrator, by a designer. That no longer can I believe, says Flu, than time plus matter plus chance over billions and billions of years, and now here we are by accident. Which is why John Polkinghorne, the professor of quantum theorics at Cambridge University. Now notice, these are sharp men. I'm not talking about intellectually challenged people here. These are guys at Oxford and Cambridge and Harvard. And Polkinghorne says, if you believe you're here by accident, you just don't get it. Science is the friend of faith, not the enemy. If you know the precision that had to take place in the early picoseconds of the universe... Now, I know some of you aren't interested in this part of the sermon, but just humor me here just for a second, okay? A picosecond is the time it takes something that's traveling the speed of light to cross the width of a hair's breadth. So it's pretty fast. He said in the early stages, the picoseconds of the universe, everything had to come together at precisely the right time, the right way for the expansion to, again, to begin to occur. Because remember, 30 years ago, even 30, some people still believe the universe was eternal. Now we know it's not. It had a beginning point and we know it. Science has proven this. It's expanding and continuing to expand. 
poking her and says, you just don't get it. The intricate details, the fine tuning, everything that came together, there's no way. It's mathematically impossible that it just happened by chance, which is why Sir Frederick Hoyle, who's been compared to Sir Isaac Newton, he says, if you believe that life came from mindless evolution, you might as well believe that a tornado swept through a junkyard and assembled a fully functioning 747. It's just not possible. You say, okay, Jeff, enough with the science. Okay, I feel better. Here's the reality. If you're here today because you were invited, it's because somebody loves you. And I want you to know they want you to know a few things about their belief and their faith. And faith has reasons. It's not a blind faith. And I like to tell the story at CCV where I take my little daughter out by the beach when we lived in New Zealand and she built a beautiful sandcastle. I know you, hey, raise your hand if you've heard this story. That's good. Most of you never listened to me. That's fine. All right. So that's good. That means I can keep using my illustrations. I'm good with that. And so Sian goes out on the beach and she builds this beautiful sandcastle. I mean, it's gorgeous. She's about eight years old and she does it because she wants to please her father. She wants her father to say, wow, what a beautiful sandcastle you have built. And I'm throwing baseball with my son Delaney out of the corner of my eye. I see you're building this castle. I mean, it is, it's impressive. Got the four corners. It even has the seashells all around and the little moat around where she has uh, dug a little ditch where the ocean water, when it comes in, it just fills the moat. This is a thing of beauty. After about two hours of hard work, she comes over and she tugs on my leg and she says, dad, come look what I built. Come look at this beautiful sand castle. Now I thought, man, this is a great time for an object lesson. So I come running over and I look at it and I say, wow, Sion, look at this. Now think. Look at this. While we were sleeping at night, the winds and the waves all blew in and formed this beautiful sandcastle, at which point she immediately began to cry. What do you mean, Dad, the winds and waves? I built this. I made it for you, Dad. Look what I did. <laughs> and she runs over to Mom. I didn't have time to tell her why I was saying it, so I got in trouble with Mom because I'd hurt my daughter's feelings. So that, that didn't end like the way I wanted it to. Here's the point. <laughs> all right, I'll slow down. Here's the point. That's what we do to God. God makes a beautiful creation, the beautiful world, the beautiful place. And you know what we say? Hey, look what the winds blew in over billions and billions of years. And God made this so it would compel you. Is God hidden? No. At every stage of your life, he's compelling you. Every time you walk out the front door of your home, don't you have that special place that you like to go to? Maybe up on top of Mount Baldy, maybe over at uh, uh, Big Bear, maybe down to the ocean. Don't you have that special place? I did in New Zealand. It's called Mirawai Beach. And I would go out there and the wildest of the Tasman Sea as I lived in New Zealand for 10 years, the Gannett Colony, the wind, the waves. And just to show you and prove to you God lived there, there was a golf course over to my right. And I could just look over this place and it was beautiful. It was great grandiose, magnificent, majestic. And I would always have this thing inside me that wanted to thank somebody. Thank you. That's why one of the most brilliant European minds, English journalist G.K. Chesterton said, you know, if my children have Santa to thank for putting candy into their stockings, who do I have to thank for putting two feet into mine? You know, how did you arrive at this time in this place, in this beautiful creation? Romans says this, Paul said, is God hidden? No. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that all men are without excuse. God is compelling you in your life. Listen, he's like Goldilocks. That's right. God is like Goldilocks. You don't see him completely till the end, but you know somebody during the course of your life has been eating your porridge, sitting in the chair and lying on your bed. He gives evidences along the way of your life journey, 
clues that lead you to believe in the one you think is hiding. So I just want you to know if you're visiting with us and you're somebody's double and you've been invited here, I just want you to know, be at ease. But right now, you're going to see a lot of people stand and they're going to worship God because of this. Now, it's going to be non-threatening. Don't worry, you're safe. You're in a safe place. But listen, we do that because we believe that the stars, the moon, the oceans, the galaxies are all part of the music that the universe plays. And it's in tune with God. And when you think about the fine-tuning, the complexity and intricate details of this galaxy, I mean, my goodness, the sun is 330,000 times larger than the earth. And that's only one star. There are billions of stars in this galaxy and there are billions of galaxies. Man, this is a big place. That all this cries out with the beauty and wonder and the creative power and capacity of creation to God, for God, to compel you to start looking at the clues He's left behind and to draw near to Him. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff's message is for those who have decided God does not exist or that the world is here by chance. Let's continue now. All right, here's what happens next. You say, okay, Jeff, I hear you about God leaving clues, but the reality is you still haven't answered your friend's question. He said to you that if God really wanted him to know him, why does he come down, just sit beside him and say, here I am, Chris, I am God. Pay attention. Now think about this. I've, I've had this question given to me by university students probably since I was about 30 years old. Think about what you're asking God. What do you want him to do exactly? Now remember, God is omnipresent, which means he's a pretty big fella. And he's spirit. He would fill the galaxies, talk about those 330,000 times larger than the earth, the sun, then you got the billions of stars and billions. God is bigger than everything he's created. He's huge. For him to come down, yes, think about it. You're asking him to come down and have eyes and nose and a mouth and legs and arms and be like you and talk to you. The problem is the last time he did that, they killed him. <laughs> and the other thing is, you have to understand, you don't have the capacity, you're finite to see the fullness of God. He would have to reduce himself in some way. And then the problem is you'd look over and say, wow, you're not that big. You're just like me. Would it really make you believe if God took on your form and talked to you that way? I know there are other questions there, but you have to remember for God to let you have a, a picture of him and to talk to you, he's going to have to reduce himself. And the danger there is then you won't believe because you'll say, you're just like me. God is vast. He is omnipresent. He's huge. But you know what? That's only part of the reason. And I don't think it's even the most crucial part. And I can't believe it took me years and years to see this. But what is it that God really wants from you anyway? Now, he could play the big, bad cosmic boss and come down and say, Jeff, I'm real. You better follow. You're in big trouble. But the Bible says that's not what God wants at all. God wants relationship. He wants love. He wants intimacy between you and him. And man, you got to tread a thin line if an all-powerful God creates a universe where the highest value is love. 1 John 4, 8 says, God is love. The essence of God, his character is love. He wants to give love and receive love. Now, just give you a little clue here, just for a moment. Can I make a woman love me? No, I can make her do a lot of stuff, but I can't make her give me her heart. You see, the thing about love is this. In, engulfed in all love are these two ideas, mystery and romance. Mystery and romance. Now guys, you tell me if I'm not on the right path here. Women, you sit back and just enjoy this little segment. <laughs> Isn't it true that the first time you laid eyes on that girl, 
something very special happens to you. The first time I saw my wife, Robin, that wasn't my wife at the time, I saw her in the university cafeteria. And I looked across, and I swallowed, and I saw these deep eyes, and I, my palms began to sweat, and my knees were shaking a little bit. This woman carried herself with incredible confidence. And of course, the thing that really drew me, now pay attention, those of you who are dating, the thing that really drew me was the fact she showed no interest in me. <laughs> That's how guys work, just to let you know. And so then my curiosity is piqued. And I look across the counter and she, ha she, she has exotic clothing. Now it's modest, but she grew up in Africa. So she's got this exotic clothing. She's got these bangles on her arm, 15 bangles on each arm from Kenya, from Zaire and Zimbabwe and Zambia because she grew up in Africa. And I'm, I'm looking at this woman with this wavy hair and these deep eyes and these bangles and exotic clothing. And I say to myself, man, I have never seen anything like that in East Tennessee. <laughs> this is brand new. And the curiosity, the intrigue, the complexity of trying to figure this woman out, I couldn't stop thinking about her. I kept thinking, man, who is this woman? It's like the Amazon queen. Who is this? <laughs> now, isn't dating bittersweet? It's sweet in the sense you get to hang out with a girl that you're courting, that you try to convince that you're something that you're totally not, and she'll only find out after the marriage. But you're, you're, you're courting, and there's, there's, a, there's a sweetness to that, right? But there's a bitterness too, because most women play head games. <laughs> And so you don't know where you stand with her. So you're hurt because you're thinking, well, am I making progress here? Does she feel about me the way I feel about her? And there's mystery and intrigue, but you keep dating. Complexity, but you keep going after because you want to learn more. You're compelled. It's called romance. And isn't it interesting that even though you don't figure everything out, you still marry her? Why? Because you know just enough to trust that what's left is even better. And so you take a step of faith. It's not mindless faith because you're trusting what you have learned and what you do know for what you might learn and what is unknown. And that's why I tell young women, man, if you've been dating a guy for three, four years and he hasn't committed to you, dump him. Read my lips. Dump him. That's right. Why? Because a lot of guys think they have to know everything there is to know about the girl before they'll commit. And that's impossible. I will never know everything there is about my wife, but I keep learning more each year. It's intriguing. It's pursuing, it's romance. And when a man stops pursuing or romancing his wife, she leaves him, right? Romance, intriguing, complexity. The Bible uses this kind of language. It says God's relationship to us is like a bride. He calls us his lover. He uses words like holotry and prostitution when we betray him. Here's the point I'm making. God has put just enough in this world that faith is a reasonable thing, but he's left just enough out that it's impossible to come to him by sheer reason alone. Why? Because God wants more than your mind. He wants your mind. Make no mistake. It's faith, not blind faith, but he wants your heart too. He wants romance. He wants you to pursue him like you pursued that girl or that guy. He wants love. He wants mercy. That's why he doesn't come down as the big cosmic boss and say, you will believe. No, he just leaves us. He leaves clues along the way. And if you're really interested, you pursue those. And he reveals more of himself and more of himself. That's why the Bible says in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature have been clearly seen so that 
men are without excuse. And then over in Ecclesiastes 3.11, to make sure we understand that not only has God revealed himself and dropped clues before us, he's also rigged the human heart to notice those clues in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. That is that you know down deep inside there's something beyond and you keep spending your entire life looking for it. You just never find it because you're not looking in the right place. God planted that in your DNA, in your physical makeup to know that there's something in the beyond. And he says, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. You're never going to know God completely and understand him completely, just like you'll never understand your wife or husband. But he reveals himself as you pursue him. Thank you for joining us on Today with Jeff Vines. We'll continue this compelling message next time as Pastor Jeff speaks to us and those who don't believe God exists about the clues God has left for us in creation and in the way He pursues us for relationship. Okay, Jeff, you've talked about the fact that God is wonderful and that all is designed to compel us into that relationship with Him. But Jeff, you've talked about God, but where does Jesus come into all this? Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.